Warning. The following podcast may contain explicit language. It will certainly contain heterodoxy, political pandemonium, and graphic depictions of alcohol use. Listeners may rest assured that at the time of recording this episode, all participants had nowhere to drive. The Cocktail Party Congress encourages you to drink and think responsibly. In vino veritas. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? Party Congress, the only political discussion podcast to our knowledge with a three-drink minimum. My name is Dan Caves. And I'm JT Andrews. Oh, JT. Last episode really did us in. <laughs> it really did. And actually, let's just be honest. I think in the last episode, when we were in the same room together, I think we we alluded to the possibility that multiple episodes would come from from that meeting that did not happen no not at all we, <laughs> no no we realized throughout that episode that there was no way that we were going to get as much accomplished as we thought we would but, i mean day after the st patrick's day there was too much expect. booze to drink <laughs> no there was too much booze to drink and too much health to worry about. So, so. I wasn't worried about my health at all. <laughs> oh, 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 you are still technically slightly younger than me. Oh, that just wait until you catch up. <laughs> uh, but hey, to your benefit, my, my, our dear listeners, we're basically f- coming in fresh for this episode. So. Uh, this will be the second in a series on our constitutional rights and more more appropriately our rights and our responsibilities there too i think you know there we go we already kind of laid out in the first episode in the first installment of this on the first amendment that you know we all have rights but we also have certain responsibilities in how we exercise them that so. we do We'll be discussing that today, and I think before we get into the obvious, JT, why don't you let us know what cocktail we're drinking tonight? Tonight's uh, Dispatch from Mahogany Ridge is uh, the ever-classic Manhattan. Uh, it's one of my favorite cocktails of all time. If I'm, you know, just just want to have a cocktail, I typically choose a Manhattan. Uh, yeah, very, it's, it's a classic cocktail in my family. Very easy yeah. to make, uh, always delicious. Um, it can be made a couple of different ways, but um, for the most part, it contains the exact same ingredients. Uh, so what you're going to need is you're going to need uh, your glass of choice. Uh, now, I'll go through the how you should make this, and then I'll tell you what I did. Uh, how you mm. should make this is... You're going to fill a mixing glass with ice, and you are going to pour in two parts of rye whiskey, 
or your favorite Canadian whiskey will also work. Uh, and then it's one part sweet red vermouth, a couple of dashes of bitters, and you're going to give that a good stir in your mixing glass with ice. And then you're going to pour it in your uh, favorite cocktail glass, either a, a rocks glass or a, a coupe would also work. Uh, and then garnish with a couple of maraschino cherries. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, what I've yeah, done, though, is drink. Uh, my dishwasher's on the fritz, so I've decided to forgo the mixing glass. And I decided to... Mm. Uh, I like this drink on the rocks. A lot of people don't, but I do. I typically just make it in the glass and I'm going to drink out of. Um, very easy to make. Don't forget the bitters. A lot of people, for some reason, have had very little experience with bitters. And it Ooh. it really makes all the difference in a drink. Oh, for sure. I mean, our first drink was the old-fashioned, and that like that depends on the bitters. It does. Big time. And there's all kinds the of different... Yeah, there's all kinds of different bitters out there. I go with Angostura bitters. Yeah, uh, that's Angostura good... is the classic bitter. That's yeah. my go-to. Uh, there's also chocolate bitters, orange bitters. You can use them whatever, however you feel, and depending on your taste. Uh, chocolate yeah, bitters sure. would go very well with this drink. Orange bitters, I would say, Ooh. would be a bit more suited for an old-fashioned. But if you like mm -hmm. it in Manhattan, go go for it. Um, but yeah, that's it's simple as that. Rye whiskey. Red vermouth and bitters, cherries. Oh, chocolate bitters with a cherry? Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, boy. It would uh, be. So, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm also enjoying it over the rocks. I, I, when you visited over St. Patrick's Day, you taught me this way of making a Manhattan, and I'm, I'm a convert, you know? <laughs> I, I was always big on the mixing glass. Actually... I was a bit of a philistine on that front because my my, my first uh, exposure to the Manhattan was not only with a mixing glass but a shaken cocktail. Oh, you, like I I never thought to stir it beforehand, but you know what? Consider me a convert to the mixing in the same glass and just stirring it up with all of the different mixings and oh, I'm thoroughly enjoying what I'm. What I have in my glass right that, now. That's what I like about the cocktail. Like this cocktail is when I make it in the glass, it's you know it's quick, it's easy, and it's delicious. Which Indeed. very rarely can you have a lot of those combined. Uh, so if you're using high quality stuff, it's not cheap. But oh no. But I, and keep in mind, listeners, that a cocktail is only as good as its lowest quality ingredient. That's a fact. Uh, yeah, and you know what? You don't have to break the bank to find the best quality ingredients. Sometimes there are hidden gems lower down on the shelf. Just uh, just make sure that, you know, whatever you find enjoyable is in your glass. That, that like That's all that really matters in the cocktail. I thought it was pretty funny that uh, uh, I once watched a documentary on blind taste testing of wines, and it was funny because some of the people were going for the really cheap wines. They're like, this is delicious. And then they revealed yeah. the cost and they <laughs> it's just like, wow, maybe I'm just a cheap drunk. But yeah, and it's price doesn't really matter. It's all about what you like and what you don't like. Yeah, it really is. Ooh, well, now that we have our Manhattans, we're we're on number three as we as we record this and. uh 
as we discussed earlier, uh, we're doing a bit of a series on our constitutional rights, specifically as uh, laid out in the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, uh, and our requisite responsibilities in exercising those rights. And in our first installment, we did the First Amendment, and specifically, we stuck to free speech for that. And you know what? For the second installment, we're going to tread into some highly emotional waters with uh, the Second Amendment. And uh, I feel like social media ostracization is going to begin after the airing of this episode. <laughs> But yeah, we, I mean... <laughs> don't let your friends be dictated by your politics. Like, just, just don't. No, and you know what? That, that itself is a complicated enough issue where, I mean... It, as we said, this is the Second Amendment, and it's a very, um, like, it's a very emotional topic, and I'm kind of interested in getting into why it's such an emotionally charged topic. Uh, topic and part of it is just it's a life and death issue quite literally and uh well jt why not for the edification of our listeners maybe they may maybe they are not americans and are not very well uh versed in our bill of rights uh why don't you go ahead and clue us in on what the second amendment to the constitution actually says Oh, boy. So, for the record, I have no constitution sitting in front of me. Uh, I'm th- quizzing you right yeah, now. Th- I, I have is, mine open. I feel like I'm in school again. Oh, uh, all right. So no the, pressure. The Second Amendment to the Constitution states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Did I get it? Uh, being necessary to, to the security of the free state? Necessary to the security, security of a free, of a free state. state. All right. That's what, I thought I messed that up. Oh, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's you written down. Did, it's written down. It is. Well, <laughs> but that that is it's okay. not even a complete sentence. Uh, yeah. Like, OK, so, so as I'm reading the Second Amendment, the feeling that I get is have you ever composed a text, but then halfway through writing it, you decided to rephrase it? But you send it before you completely proofread it, like yeah, I I've I am totally coming on my way to the to the movies, like <laughs> like I I am coming I I'm I am leaving for the movies and I am on my way to the movies, so like I am leaving on my way to the movies, like That's... there's a little bit of a sense of that where it's like I've the totally... grammar of the Second Amendment has sort of like colored the 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 legal analysis of it. It really has, um, because <laughs> at, at, at one yeah. point there, there's that one comma between the militia clause and the people clause, and a, and it's like if the statement does not make grammatical sense to begin with, does a comma really come into play? Personally, yeah. I think it does, but um, it it does. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't. But uh, then it depends on how you think that comma comes into play. I mean, in the end. It is up to the Supreme Court to to adjudicate these disputes whenever a case comes before them to to actually discuss that. And, you know, the, the, there is some S- Supreme Court case law that suggests that, you know, 
this is a very individual right to bear arms. And it's not necessarily like th th there's some case law to support that it is for the purposes of maintaining a well-regulated militia. And then uh, in, oh, I, I don't want to get the year wrong, but it's a uh, Heller v. Washington, D.C. Right. Heller versus the, the Heller case. Versus, yeah, the Heller versus District of Columbia case where where the Supreme Court in the end uh, decided that the Second Amendment lays out an individual right to to bear firearms. Uh, and oh man, that there's just this is a very oh touchy subject. I mean, especially considering a lot of the recent history with um, we've been seeing a lot of a lot more mass school shootings in in recent years and in recent years yes we have yeah um it, and it's this is one of the touchiest subjects that we have right now but we yeah. we still have to come through with uh with this podcast with uh i would say rationally based argument um yeah i i know i pointed this out in the last uh the last moment of clarity about how uh, a lot of these protesters, uh, they're being attacked based upon their age or based, it's like, oh, you don't know anything because you're so young. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, it's, I want them to present rational arguments and I, anybody who opposes them, I want them to base uh, their opinions on documented evidence of and rational arguments. Well, well, something that we're seeing with with, with those um, activists uh, from the Parkland shooting that is the most, uh, unfortunately, we can say that it's the most recent as of the recording of this episode. It is. And the, the, the way things have been going, I mean, there could be another by the time this episode airs. You you never know, and this is this is one of the central tragedies of our current time. But something that I learned this past week is that um, as far as those activists uh, from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High, is, is that the name of the high school? I want to say Am I yes. getting that completely wrong? Uh, but, but, yeah. The activists from that, from that uh, school district is that um, one of the things that we're noticing here is I learned that their school district requires speech, debate, and rhetoric and the formulation of argument as part of their curriculum. So so what you're seeing in them is essentially what I touched on in my first moment of clarity is that they are they are being equipped to be the sorts of, you know, leaders for their generation. And th this is what you get when you spend school time on producing uh, functional citizens. And so we shouldn't, wh whatever your opinion is on their, you know, their position on being shot at, essentially, in their lives, uh, like, you, you have some empathy for the fact that, like, this is what you get when you spend the time and the effort and the budget on, you know, creating useful, competent citizens. Yeah. We should, 
it, at a certain extent feel inspired by that fact. It ties into yeah. the ideas of critical thinking, critical thinking skills and uh, knowing how to form an argument, going way back to Aristotle, the idea of logos, pathos, ethos. When you present mm -hmm. an argument, that must be a rational argument. You must appeal to your audience and you must present evidence in support or in denial of the facts uh, or of the uh, of opposing arguments. Um, but I think we really need to get to, to the meat of this podcast yeah, of uh, the Second Amendment. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so my question to you, Dan, is sure. why did our found, founding fathers put the Second Amendment into the Bill of Rights? Ooh, that is uh, a complicated question. <laughs> a complicated legal and cultural question that let me let me just take a shot at it. Uh, ooh, no pun intended right there. But it's... Uh, but uh, well, okay. So we already sort of went to the, the 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 textual meat of the issue, where you know one of the arguments that we see about why the Second Amendment Amendment exists was to in a in an America before a standing army, where a standing army was something that we didn't fully trust and that you know it, it was more seen at, like national defense was seen as a responsibility of the states a well-regulated militia you know being essential to the security of a free state we were expected to own and know how to responsibly use firearms of the time to be able to respond to calls for a militia. That's that's one reason why the Second Amendment exists, at, at least on paper, is this, so that there was a a, a a a place from where you can draw national defense. And it was something that was very citizen-based. It was a citizen militia uh, idea. The minute. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and that was before we had something like the United States Army and all the armed forces and all that. And then there is the other side of it, which is something that we we saw <laughs> we saw especially espoused during in our recent memory in the Obama administration when it was a Democratic majority and a Democratic administration and uh, the National Rifle Association was really pushing this idea that the other more philosophical reason behind the second amendment is that the citizenry should always be in a position where it could overthrow <laughs> a possibly tyrannical government and you, you sort of get this sense from people who and you know what i'm still not sure where i stand on this uh, from people who consider the declaration of independence as a founding document on the same level as the uh, as the Constitution, because the Declaration uh, the Declaration of Independence is the the document that that provided the framework for us to throw away the the influence of uh, the British monarchy and establish our own country, and you know it, it laid out the the political conditions under which a revolution could occur, and you know under a 
a very Republican influenced uh, organization like the National Rifle Association under the Obama administration was very interested in maintaining that as a talking point. And so that is the other and and, and you know what? On a lar- on like a major like global level, I basically agree with that. Political philosophy wise, you know, if things get bad enough, I think people have a right to 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 take up arms to to throw off a tyrannical government. We're nowhere near that, in my view. Not but then, not even during this current administration. We're no, nowhere near. No, that. not really. Uh, no, 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 not 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 at all. But like that—that's the other reason for the Second Amendment existing. Is that so? So the first one is to provide for a a source of the citizen militia, and then the other side of it is to maintain the possibility of throwing away government tyranny. Right. That's how I kind of read it. That yeah. that's uh, I'm the same way, and yeah. Yeah. Given how the amendment is actually written, uh, I think it's important to note that there is a distinction between the two parties involved in the amendment. There is the militia and the people. So mm. if, it, if the Second Amendment genuinely stated that it was for only armed militiamen, like members of the militia to keep and bear arms. It would say it would be the right of the militia to keep and bear arms. But instead, there is a distinction. There is a, the second part of that says the right of the people. Because mm-hmm. the people do make up, the, would make up the militia in the case of uh, uh, back when our constitution was founded. But there's, there's that specific distinction between the militia and the people. So because it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, I take it to mean just that, the right of the people. Because the people can gather together, they can form militias in times of either foreign invasion or tyrannical governments. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's uh, something that I think a lot of people don't look at nowadays they just say oh it meant the right of the militia but it says the right of the people i mean what if we were to tweak that amendment and say that and much to the spirit of this this episode of the podcast is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the responsibility of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed what if that were the case? I mean, th- th- I think that's what it kind of comes down to in the context of our conversation here is that we have this this constitutional right to have lethal means at our disposal at any uh, under any circumstance really. And that's that's kind of what the NRA has been arguing for is that you know to to widen the circumstances under which we have the means to lethal force but there is a responsibility that's tied to having and and, and even more so than speech i have never seen a more like more responsibility come with a right like it is an incredibly high responsibility that if you own a firearm we are entrusting you 
Like our government and our constitution is entrusting you with the responsibility of handling it safely, of using it only in times of dire need and not using it against the innocent that it's jeez yeah yeah um i mean the nra while i might agree with a lot of the things they said that uh, this goes back to our american corporatism as episode where we talked about yeah, lobbying yeah. uh they're a lobbyist group and I, I i don't like to send money to them because simply they're a lobbyist group yeah i'll i'll add to that and just say that i'm same conversation, I think. Uh, when I was talking about the Koch brothers wearing institutions as a skin in order to advance a a a, a separate agenda, I I don't know. Okay, so the NRA seems at this point to be a exactly a lobbying group for gun manufacturers and you know after a shooting like Parkland and many others beforehand we have seen an increase in firearm sales and the National Rifle Association is wearing the skin of a once respectable organization to my to my reckoning where at one point in its history it was concerned with fostering a responsible, uh, very hunting-oriented gun culture, a, a, a responsible gun culture where you really respected the the lethality of the tool in your hand. And it, it was really seen as a tool and not as almost like a toy or as a an accessory that you see now. And I think a lot of I think a lot of people like okay so coming clean I'm a gun owner, as am I. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're both gun owners, but we are not supporters of the National Rifle Association. I'm not at least. I am not. Same, same. Uh, and and that's that that's something that I do keep in mind is that okay. So I think a lot of gun owners have a romanticized view of the NRA where they still have this I and maybe on the local level they have this still going on where it is about they will do uh gun safety and you know lectures on that kind and uh, like I don't know on the local level how how prevalent that is now but at this point it is very much a lobbying organization and it it, ha- it it advances arguments that I find absolutely repugnant. Uh, you can see their influence. Uh, we saw this yeah. influence in, in Georgia. What happened was uh, a lot of the NRA's sponsors that were giving things like discounts to NRA members, yeah. they suddenly stopped supporting the NRA. But yeah. in response, the Georgian government, like these actual representatives chose to eliminate the tax cuts for these companies who are not supporting the NRA. And mm-hmm. and that just goes to show how deep, uh, how deeply rooted the NRA lo- lobbyist group is. Like, I, I am a gun owner. I do support Second Amendment rights, but I do not support the, uh, a large lobbying organization having that kind of power and that kind of influence over our elected officials. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, so going a bit off of that topic, I I I, I want to talk about our our American culture again. This goes yeah. way, way back to an earlier episode uh, about American culture and American values. Yeah, values um, episode. Yeah, the question I. I hypothetically uh, pose to a lot of our, our listeners as well as to you, Dan, is if America did not have this hyper-masculine culture, this very machismo mm. culture, would yeah. we continue to have a gun problem, so to speak? Would it be in, in bed with our culture? Like Americans love to have the biggest and the best, and we're always trying to outdo our neighbors. Your, your neighbor buys a camper, you buy a bigger one. Pretty soon you got, you know, an 18-wheel RV. And uh, it, the same goes with firearms. We're always trying to outdo one another. We want to make the biggest boom. Uh, so we got to buy the biggest gun with the highest capacity magazines and have the top of the line everything. And that, mm. that goes into our hyper-masculine culture of just competition. Mm. And if we did not have that, do you think we would still have these problems of mass shootings and these uh, this incredible sense of violence? That is really interesting to think about. Give me a second here. Hmm. <laughs> I've got to drink this over. <laughs> well, well, here's the, like you link a lot of different topics there, and something I've been thinking about a lot is sort of the psychology behind our gun culture and especially like what does the gun what does the gun represent on an archetypal level please keep please listeners keep the zardoz just jokes to a minimum if you've seen that (laughs) terrible movie (laughs) oh sean connery what were you thinking um so i think all right so and this gets to, I think, a little bit of, well, not a little bit, but this gets to what, th- this gets to how emotionally fraught this topic is. Because when you start talking about guns and gun control and the gun culture and all of this sort of generally, you're getting into some serious, like, subconscious psychological territory here. And, like I've been thinking a lot about what the gun represents in American culture and the so the the most charitable reading I can think of is that the gun represents a a self-reliant I can deal with it myself kind of a kind of a mindset that when people talk about gun control and restricting access to certain types of firearms that it's it's getting at the individualistic um what's the word i'm looking for uh the the um i don't know if i would tie it so closely to i mean maybe so there is no no denying the fact that the mass shootings that we're seeing are a mostly male problem. I mean, I, I've, pretty much every single one that we've seen is a, a masculine issue. The thing I'm sort of noticing among the mass shooters 
over the last, and actually we're getting to the point of like, we're almost going on 20 years since the Columbine shooting. Can you, can you believe that JT? We are. I remember seeing that when I was yeah that, that, I was that was younger. Uh, yeah, that, that was something news. that we definitely like. I definitely remember very vividly when that was a new thing, and that's something that we really, that we really. Now it's a regular part of our culture is to to have to deal with that. My reading of it is, I'm not sure if I would tie it so closely to sort of a hyper masculinity, but there's no denying that it is a male problem what we see a lot in the psychology what what i think we see a lot in the psychology of a mass shooter and of a of a school shooter like i mean going all the way back to the columbine shooters of eric harris and dylan klebold and they left behind writings that that gave you a glimpse into their mindset going in that is just absolutely jarring if you if you have the like psychological fortitude to 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 look into that is at the very least there is a nihilistic hatred for and rebellion against being itself and whatever like i'm not sure what that truly represents but there's a a nihilistic disconnect between these these perpetrators and the culture at large that I think is what gets lost in when the NRA comes back and says that these shootings have everything to do with quote-unquote mental health, which is on their end, I think, a cop-out. Like, it's them diverting from from the real issue, but at the same time they're kind of acknowledging something that's going on in the American psyche that is making mass violence attractive to a certain subset of of our people and no please jump in please yeah so Dan I'm going to ask you to take two drinks and I will tell you to take two drinks for one of the each, one for each of the these uh, these individuals that uh, undertook the mass yeah. shooting at Columbine, because you gave them a name, and for <laughs> that very same reason that we do not mention the name of our current president without uh, ramifications, uh, that go- that sort of goes into. Uh, the psychology you know, of these mass that. shootings. Uh, this this individual that recently undertook the mass shooting at yeah. uh, in Florida uh, with these high school students, uh, he cried out for help mm-hmm. many many times for uh, you know saying hey I'm not being paid attention to you know uh, the it, this guy was yeah. on oh, the yeah, FBI's sure. radar. Yeah. You know, for me- for mental health issues, uh, it was a cry for help, cry for help, cry for help. Then pretty like pretty soon, this person is like, "I'm not getting the attention that I deserve." So, 
as soon as this person goes out and commits a mass shooting, everybody will remember his name as long as we mention mm-hmm. it. And that's why I refuse to give these killers. Yeah, that, that's a lesson that uh, we've learned over time, for sure. Uh, yeah, they. It's we. The media will yeah. make them famous, and I. I don't. And honestly, I don't know the name of the last shooter. Um, like I. Th- I've. No, I don't yeah. want to know the name of the last shooter. Um, that way, mm. I can never repeat it in public, and have to take a drink for it. <laughs> you know, fair enough for making me take a drink for for, yes, for the I, names of the the Columbine perpetrators, and you know, point of order. Point no, of please, order. Please call me on that kind of stuff. You know what? I you know what? I would love to see more on our podcast. You and I disagreeing about <laughs> you and I disagreeing about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's quite amicable, but amicable at this point. But you know what? It, it is possible for us to have disagreements about this sort of thing. And honestly, it's not even a disagreement at this point. It's just you know, like you're taking an issue with uh, with you know, a, a method I was going on. But we agree. It's like we yeah. agree on the same substance, yeah. but. Uh... Oh, for it's sure. The finer points of and and, and, and that, that's that's something that our um, media has been hopefully learning over but, time is that you know, and you know what that is part of the 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 competition based culture that you mentioned is that making a f- an infamy out of being a mass shooter, you know, it's going to drive copycats and. You know, some of what we see is a bit of a of the copycat kind of thing. But I, I think you can't. What I'm saying is you can't discount the nihilism and hatred for humanity that you see among the perpetrators of these events. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, and I'm not sure. And I'm you do see that. I'm not sure how that figures into a. a uh, constructive toxic masculinity however we want to define that but what it definitely what it definitely gets around is um, the, the NRA likes to bring up as a bit of a scapegoat is what we need to deal with the shooting problem is mental health and they use that term very nebulously and it's if it's yeah <sighs> If the yeah. NRA and the, you know, if the NRA and all these proponents of gun rights were seriously about improving the mental health of this nation, then they would be 100% behind oh, universal health care, yeah. especially from, for, especially for uh, people with uh, mental disorders, mental disabilities, or any sort yeah. of mental health issue. They would be 100% no, behind this, but they are not. And... And that's something that actually bothers me. It's, um, I remember at one point, completely different context, but Dan, I'll never forget the time you said this to me. You're like, JT, you can't be pro-life and pro-go-fuck-yourself at the same time. <laughs> I'll drink I'll to that. I'll never forget those words. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll drink to that. Dude. Cheers, Cheers indeed. But yes, I, I think, honestly, there is a, a mental health issue in, in America right now. Um, if you think back to pa- 
past generations, you had kids going to high school with guns. They would, you know, stay locked in yeah. their lockers or in their cars uh, because they were gonna they were gonna go shooting afterwards. In fact, my own mother had a uh, when she was in high school, there was a rifle range underneath oh, the yeah. auditorium in the gym. Or, or, my, or uh, the school auditorium. My first two years at college, I took group. recreational shooting. Um, like, like that was a class that was that, that was offered. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you didn't see uh, this level of either a freaking out at somebody having a gun, and b somebody perpetrating a mass shooting. Everybody assumes that if you carry a gun, you must have a mm. malicious intent coming with you if, if that firearm is exposed yeah. in, in a public space. And I don't I think we need to get mm. away from that mentality. Uh, personally, I'd rather see uh, people with concealed <laughs> firearms as opposed to exposed firearms. But... Uh, I think there's a lot of stigma around gun owners that, you know, they're, they're compensating yeah. for something yeah. or uh, they just want to show how masculine and awesome they are. And that's really not the case. I'm a very, you know, <laughs> I'm a very yeah. shy and meek person. Yet I own a gun. It's not something I brag. I really brag oh, no. about. No. Um, but it, it's just something yeah, that it, I have. Is it um, Because... It's I'm a like tool a, a in my toolbox, and I, you know, it. I don't have anything extravagant. I don't have anything flashy. I don't have anything compensatory. It's you know, it's it's a bolt action, five, uh, internal magazine. And here's the thing. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing about the gun conversation that really irks me is that there is a bit of a fallacious argument where and and this is something that I see on the pro gun side where if someone on the what's the best way to put it the non pro gun side gets even the slightest detail wrong about a f- about firearms in general then that immediately disqualifies them from the conversation. Like, if they don't know the very distinct difference between a magazine and a clip, that automatically disqualifies someone from a conversation. Like, come on. That's not a... That's not a f- in, in some yeah, no, cases... No, go on. Go on. In, in some cases, yeah. that, that it's very true. But in some cases, it isn't. In my for mind. example... In a lot of cases. Uh, for example... Uh, I will not mention this congresswoman's name, but back when they, uh, under the Brady Bill, they were trying to outlaw high-capacity magazines. And this congresswoman was convinced that as by doing this, all the high-capacity mag- magazines mm. would eventually disappear because they would be used up. Oh, no. They would no longer be good to use. And it's just like, wait a minute. These things can be yeah. reloaded. She didn't understand the idea that these these were you know devices that mm. can be reloaded and used over and over, and yet was making public policy based mm. upon that idea. Yeah, and it 
if they are going to be, you know, if these lawmakers are going to make laws concerning the uh, concerning a firearm, then they should have firsthand experience and knowledge, at least the knowledge of Hmm. what they're doing, like what they are. If they're making a specific bill to ban a certain type of firearm or a certain type of magazine, bump stocks, whatever, they should at least have an understanding of what uh, the primary function and how no, how that, they work. Yeah, that's uh, a fair point. You know, take a half hour class. I mean, uh, but I, I do agree with that, that just because somebody is not as familiar with firearms as a lot of other people, that they are suddenly not capable of making laws that oh, and, make and, and I'm sense. talking about something even beyond that, is it's not necessarily that um, we're talking about people who want to make laws governing, governing those things, but just like even within the public conversation about... Uh, our gun culture is like, that's something you will see. Like I have, I, a gun owner who understands guns and who owns guns and has fired a lot of guns and, you know, gets all this stuff. I have been told that I don't know what I'm talking about. Like after, after the Sandy hook shooting, I wrote a thing and maybe I'll link to it in the show notes at some point, but after the Sandy Hook uh, <laughs> shooting, I wrote a thing. Um, after the first time that Wayne Lapierre, the the, the you know the spokesman of the NRA, uh, the first time that he advanced the idea that what we really need to do is crack down on the mentally and, and that's the thing. When I was talking about the mentally ill and the um, and the gun debate, it gets framed as a we need to crack down on these people, but I'm still not sure what that really what that really means. I mean, you, you brought up, um, mental health care as, as an issue there, but it's, it's something that, you know, whenever it's brought up nowadays is it's brought up as sort of a diversion from the real issue. And it's, it's brought up as a, well, we need to start infringing on the rights of these, this certain class of people so that we don't go after risk. You know, supposedly responsible gun owners, but you know, after the Sandy Hook massacre, it was in 2012. Or, they all blur together, unfortunately, nowadays, don't they? It's a that's yeah sad. But, but after true. that one, and after Wayne Lapierre made that point for the first time, and one that the president uh, has reinforced in the aftermath of the Parkland shooting. Um, brought up mental health and you know i sort of called out the nra at the time for its uh especially during the like i said during the obama administration their 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 emphasis on the the paramilitary fetishization of the gun culture where it wasn't about it wasn't about yes hunting or responsibility or any of that it was about we need to keep these around so we can overthrow the Democrats. You know, uh, what's something like, I think one thing you've put to me before, and maybe you can explain it better is uh, Schrodinger's Patriot. <laughs> I was thinking just that I was going to bring it up. Schrodinger's Patriot. Uh, 
if you're familiar with Schrodinger's paradox about, uh, you know, cat in a box and there's poison gas released and unless you open the box you can't tell if the cat is really dead so it's bad the lie i guess you could shake the box i i have neither (laughs) is that too literal (laughs) (laughs) it's a really it's a really big box but anyway schrodinger's patriot is somebody who demands absolutely demands that you stand for the national anthem of the country that they're stockpiling firearms to overthrow yeah Um, and uh, yeah it's and it's one of those i feel like it's a really hyper masculine mentality to have it's like we're gonna overthrow the government so we have to stockpile arms and don't you dare infringe upon my right to do so and people in this country really i don't think understand what tyranny really is We haven't seen people like not. I mean, we've seen cases of, um, you know, police officers shooting uh, Mm -hmm. unarmed citizens, you know, and because of race, etc. There's a lot of these arguments out there, but we haven't seen the government systematically rounding people up with the specific purpose of killing them. It's. We've seen the rounding up of people before in our history with the Japanese internment Mm. camps, but we haven't seen systematic extermination. And um, the most we've seen is fighting. We fought over how our tax dollars are spent and if we are collecting too much in terms of tax. Um, Money Mm. is really talking in this case. And I really don't think that there is a uh, there's a reason to be too concerned at this point in our history. You might see it in the next few years. You might see it in the next few decades or the next hundred years. But I no. don't think the time oh, no. is now. You might see some very you might see very radical action being taken. You might see things that are potentially going to ruin this country but i don't think that you're going to see that the mass exterminations that you have seen in other countries specifically in europe in uh in eastern europe specifically mm-hmm. uh i don't think you're going to see that at this point yeah in we're history. a little flippant about what um, but, what it actually takes to, to to like delegitimize a government to the point of overthrowing it you know Right. Like just because somebody wants to take an extra $20 of your taxes and pay it, use it to spend on school teachers, you know, trying to make sure that they actually have a a decent income and resources Mm -hmm. to spend on their students is not a justification for overthrowing the entire government. Uh, But I feel like that's sort of what you're seeing. And it's it almost extends beyond a mental yeah. health issue and goes into a um, just the American psyche mm-hmm. at the current moment that, you know, that suddenly the government is 100% pure evil and I will do everything to oppose it. It's really not. It, at most, it's 999 I mean, at its at its absolute worst. 
but I, th- I think that uh, I'm in full support of the Second Amendment, but I'm also in favor of people who do have these mental health issues trying to own firearms. They should be able to uh, get the necessary help that they need and that they yeah. deserve. Yeah, and, and actually, just to go back to the mental health issue for a moment, is um, where's the limit? drawn on that because i mean when Lane, when wayne on pierre brought that up i mean it was pretty much just like we need to draw up a list of people who are no longer eligible to own firearms on on those grounds but like what are those grounds really i mean like i'll be completely candid if you open up my medical chart you'll you'll find depression on my problem list and like is that enough to disqualify me from any future gun ownership or like what what's really the what's the standard there and that's the problem that i have with the nra's talking point there is that there isn't really a standard drawn it's just something that they say instead of mass on less and less regulated access to lethal devices and and i think that's something that i really find about the nra is that like their solution is to have everyone possible have access to firearms and that like without a responsible mindset towards it like it's it really is just geared towards having as many people as possible being armed under any circumstance any thoughts on that? So here, here's the issue. Our Constitution applies mm. to everyone. And there are, it applies to every citizen in America. So if suddenly you say that the Second Amendment no longer applies to you because of your mental health, that's where we... Dr- we roll into really, really foggy territory when it comes to constitutional rights. Uh, I mean, if prisoners have the right to vote, why can't a mentally ill person have a firearm mm. in that sense, in the strictest constitutional sense? Um, and it's really hard to draw that line. Um, but you can't say that a line has to be drawn and then absolutely refuse to, to help, or let's say that they decide that uh, the law the law applies to everybody, no matter what, 100%, that even the mentally ill can own a firearm, then I would say, well, what about, uh, what about the, what about your mentality that, you don't want mental health care for these mm. people. I would say you want these people who have mental health issues to own firearms, but at the same time you're refusing, absolutely refusing to budge on funding, on access for these people to get treatment for their mental issues. 
and uh, it, it's almost hypocritical. It's like we will, we want to give this person who is ill a gun, but we don't want to take care of them as a person. It's like they don't even matter anymore. Um, so really, it is a foggy line. I don't know where that line mm. should be drawn. About the only thing I think that... Uh, when it comes to the Second Amendment, the only thing I really think should be uh, should be banned, considering today's market, oh, is bump Oh, Jesus. Stocks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so... so Bump stocks where are sold right now. If, if people don't yeah, understand, yeah, what bump let's explain that are, real quick. It's a device. It's a device that is put onto a firearm that a semi-automatic firearm, which means in order for it to fire repeatedly, each time you pull yeah. the trigger, it fires. You can't just pull the trigger, hold it, mm-hmm. and a bunch of rounds pour out. It's you have to push the trigger every single time. So. What bump stocks do is they take this uh, this semi-automatic feature, and they t- give it the same rate as a as an automatic firearm, where it's a machine gun where you pull it on the trigger, and uh, bullets continue to fly yeah, out as it, long as you keep holding it down. Which is sort of it, it's it's what how yeah, the bump stops. It's, it's like functions. it uses the recoil but, okay. of the semiotic action to like cycle yeah. the the trigger again, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So here's the the issue that I take with that it is that it is currently being sold as a way to circumvent mm-hmm. yeah. current gun laws in order to own a fully automatic. Uh, firearm you have to be specially licensed you have to pass a a gajillion background checks whenever you get a new one you have to go through the same background checks you have to uh if you move you have to redo the background checks it's called a class three license it's absolutely Mm. crazy to get uh but it's des- these bump stocks are designed to circumvent those laws. And if something is designed to circumvent a law like that, then they serve no useful function. And those are the things that should be obvious out. loophole. Because, yeah, yeah, they're it, they're designed and sold with the. Uh, with the intent to yeah. exploit a loophole. It's which designed is and sold as an accessory and not as a firearm itself. So that like that's kind of the loophole that they're that they're exploiting there. And Right. Yeah. So somebody who cannot get a class three license can now have something that practically acts yeah. as a and fully so, like, automatic the, weapon. The the um the significance of that comes from I mean, months ago the Las Vegas shooting where, you know, I'm yes. thankfully, I don't even remember his name to, to not, to not draw the ire of your point of order earlier. Um, I'm sure, oh, I'm sure he would like you to, but mention uh, it. the, the Las Vegas shooter who, you know, stood on a hotel balcony and essentially with a, with the bump stock rained destruction down from, a balcony onto a music festival that was going on below him. Yeah, it was essentially that. Like, he had bump stocks that, you know, helped him 
create carnage below him. And, you know, the you-know-who administration at the time, (laughs) at the time, made noises about banning it. And then after the Parkland shooting, once it was, you know, obvious that no movement had been made along the way, they made more noises about doing it, and I'm not sure if it's been done. <laughs> I, don't... I feel like they're still pushing for it. Um, I know that's one of the... Uh, it's like they're they're treading very yeah. lightly on the thin ice, and they're, uh, they're, they're trying to appease both sides because yeah. they know they need the votes. And I think, uh, I think the banning of bump stocks is something that most people agree on. So uh, it, it's definitely something that this current administration yeah. is doing. Yeah, I really can't fault. At the very least, it. it was one. Of, it, 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 it was one of those things where once the Parkland shooting happened, it was obvious that they hadn't done it yet, and so that's when it kind of came back up. Uh, so, I mean, in summary, I mean, so we have the Second Amendment, we have it as written, we have it as interpreted as uh, by the Supreme Court. I mean, so we have that right. So what kind of responsibility do we have towards uh, uh, towards yeah. exercising it, you know? We really have a responsibility to use our firearms, you know, with... Uh, with the intent of actually killing somebody. We have a responsibility to do that only under the most dire circumstances. If somebody is about to kill you, your family, somebody else, uh, you know, be it a total stranger or a family friend, uh, if you are armed at the time, you have that responsibility to use it. And, but, uh, I feel like we've lost track of a lot of our responsibilities. We don't understand what it means to own a gun. We just know that we have them. And we really need to come come to grips with that, that there is a lot of responsibility with carrying a firearm. It's, it's, uh, it's really a heavy burden, and especially considering a lot of, there's a lot of laws out there and there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of legal pressure under firearms law, and uh, it puts a heavy burden on the people who the people who are those law-abiding citizens, the people who uh, they want to legally own a firearm, they want to legally use it, they want to legally re- be responsible. Uh, and I think that it's a a heavy burden but I'm willing to to pay that cost I'm willing to to take the classes on firearm safety I'm willing to teach people about the safe handling I mean I've lived with people who I wanted to make sure it was okay with them that I had had a firearm in the house I had to demonstrate to them and get them to trust that uh, my ability to be responsible. Um, even though they might not have agreed with uh, 
with my actions, they would be like, you are irresponsible enough that we trust you to do this. And that's really what about what responsibility is all about. It's about that trust that you can gain between people. And that's something we need to see more of in our society. And I don't I don't really see it. I just see a lot of people shouting and screaming for more rights, more rights, more rights, but they don't really think about the heavy responsibilities that come with them. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as far as the Second Amendment goes, um, just fostering as healthy a gun culture as is asserted by supporters of the NRA. I mean, like I said, I mean, the NRA as it stands is not as it is now it isn't really a, an organization beyond a a lobbying group for gun manufacturers and insofar as it represents a an advocacy for responsible and safe and healthy gun ownership I don't see it as that, but if we can foster that, that's the best case scenario. And like you said, it really it comes down to the trust that we feel between citizens and between one another. And uh, well, person wiser than I once said that uh, the the burden of citizenship really comes down to extending friendship to strangers. And if if we can, if we as free citizens can treat one another as friends, and if people as people who can you know uh, maintain that relationship healthily, you know all the better. And speech is one thing we did that in the first episode in this series, and you know the right to bear arms another another topic entirely and you know what i hope in the future that we can we can navigate this more more what's the word i'm looking for better <laughs> free is more, more more better better more better <laughs> well <laughs> I'm not gonna lie one of one of my favorite pastimes when I'm introducing new people to firearms to people who had never seen one or held one I love taking them shooting just to um, to familiarize them with yeah. what actually happens to get their so reaction I, I'm it's like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to teach them about uh, how to be safe like and just give them a taste of the responsibility that you have when you wield such a thing and what uh, a responsibility one of my it is to have a tool in your hand that can wreak the kind of damage that we have seen in so many different circumstances but also to to yeah as we've said sort of roundaboutly to protect the rights that we kind of all too easily enjoy and to that point i say oh oh shit all right well there's that there's that sound again oh damn it
There it is again. The Illuminati. It is time. It is yep, time the of for the moment of has arrived, and the only sober I part know. of this entire podcast. And do not podcast. let that be a disqualifier for for gun ownership. I mean, no need to. Ch- but I never carry. Oh, no. I never carry oh, no. when I. And maybe when I've we didn't drinking. make that clear enough. Never do. That part of the responsibility of of gun ownership is to not not carry while you are in any any form of impairment but yeah we're home most no certainly. one is yeah never ne- never carry home. when you're drunk never we're home drunk. we're not in any danger of anything right now and the the fanfare has ended finally and so another episode of the cocktail party congress draws to a close and uh, in Vino Vino Veritas Veritas JT and may I just add that if you would like to support the podcast you could very easily go to Apple Podcasts or Google Play and give us a five star review why not go the full Monty on this give us a good review I I, I wouldn't go to full Monty fair enough but <laughs> give us a hey, give us a good review. Give us give us as many stars as you feel fit. It'll help more people find the podcast. And um that it will. Yeah. Uh, music. <laughs> music. Uh, talk about the music. Pay us, pay us please. Yes, pay. Uh, yeah, so the music of course <laughs> is once again by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. It is Dark Sea Land, and you can find that and more, 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 more tracks, more better, more cr- better, perfectly cromulent, <laughs> perfectly cromulent word. Thanks, oh. Kevin. You do great work. Uh, you're you're making this podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, what? Also, check us out on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, we have a Facebook we are page on Facebook. now. Uh, yeah. We do. It's great. Uh, check it out. Like us. Uh, listen to what we got to say. And uh, pour yourselves a cocktail. Have a good time. Have a good listen. And uh, once again, thank Indeed. No hard feelings on this most emotional of podcasts. And we hope you join us on the next one. In Vino Veritas, JT. In Vino Veritas, Dan. A conservative is someone who stands athwart history yelling stop at a time when no one is inclined to do so or to have much patience with those who so urge it. So wrote William F. Buckley in his iconic magazine, The National Review. The year was 1955, in a time when the tide of history was ever waning, even dammed up, for far too many people in America. It was a time when obstructing social progress was tantamount to obstruction of justice. His words seem extreme to our modern sensibilities, and I think his conception of conservatism needs some serious updating. I find that his analogy is outdated and self-limiting. 
To assert the conservative as King Canute assumes that occasionally tides will listen and keep their distance when wisdom demands it. What an arrogant self-image. No, I prefer to see the conservative's role in society as that of a game master or GM, sitting at the head of a session of Dungeons and Dragons, asking his or her players, are you sure you want to do that? Tabletop role-playing games have a few things to teach us philosophically and I think consequently politically. For instance, a GM can generally claim no right to dictate the thoughts or actions of his or her players unless a die roll says otherwise. Players take full advantage of the freedom to take big risks, and invariably, they make big mistakes. GMs may advise against potentially dumb decisions. Certainly, they can enact consequences, but really, they can never control. And sometimes, matters of life and death at the gaming table comes down to a GM's willingness to step out in front of a proposed plan of action and ask, with all seriousness and empathy, are you sure you want to do that? And so it goes for the conservative, or at least I think it should. Liberalism and conservatism are not two diametrically opposed forces engaged in a zero-sum struggle between good and evil. No, they are two philosophical approaches to running an orderly and healthy society. At times, they're both right. At other times, one is right while the other is wrong. And occasionally still, sometimes they both have no answers. But in any event, they need one another. Neither outlook is sufficient to run a complex society on its own. Liberalism and progressivism can sometimes be overly optimistic and oblivious to the blowback, unintended consequences, or even sometimes hidden perversions in their ideas and policies. Conservatism can help slow down the process of change to make sure that when it's done in good faith, that the right action is being taken at the right pace for the right reasons. Conservatism can slow a society to a halt where no change is possible. Liberals and progressives can, with empathy and patience, open conservative eyes to necessary and positive changes, and then breathe new life into old traditions. In other words, liberalism needs to know when it asks too much of its citizens, and conservatism must know when it needs to catch up with social change. I believe that that is where conservatism is right now. This presidency and the current Republican Party are still standing athwart history, stubbornly and frantically insisting not only that it stop, but that it, that it turn itself back at least half a century. I can only hope that this represents the last gasp of a dying set of ideas. Maybe newer and wiser generations can step up to be the kind of Republican and conservative who can sit at the head of a gaming table the kind of Republican and conservative who can sit back and trust a group of diverse players to act as free agents in the world, and the kind of Republican and conservative who can feel restrained to never coerce, but rather to ask with civil empathy, are you sure you want to do that? And if the answer is yes, and the math checks out, then let it happen. For every take, offer a give. Liberals can do it, so can conservatives.
And if this happens enough, then we as citizens can get back to trusting each other, even when we question each other. Then I hope that we can now and always say, the Republic still stands.